morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Marcus Olivari, and I am joined once again by the ineffable Austin Zetsman. Good evening, Austin. Hello, Michael. How are you? I am doing okay. I am quite tired, but that is to be expected when everyone in the world is playing sport all of a sudden once again. <laughs> yeah, there's things to catch back up on all yeah. suddenly. Yeah, Crazy. and there's things to stay up and watch every single night. It's great. How about you? How has life been in the old FL? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. current events aside, it's, it's going well. It's very extremely hot. Uh, we're going through a very, very... Uh, record-breaking heat spell uh oh my to God, I'm pile onto everything else yeah so it's uh it is very very hot a lot of humidity so we uh we're we're, we're taking our chances in the sun every now and then for here so uh, especially yeah. from from myself originally from a much northern part of the uh, country it's uh my body continuously reminds me that i am indeed from there and not from a place <laughs> that would like sun a lot so yeah but it's going well it's you were telling well. me you were telling me a few days ago that you got very sunburnt Oh, poor Austin. Uh, I cannot confirm nor deny that, but yeah, it, uh, I'm still recovering. Still recovering. Oh, uh, rookie mistake. Hey, Austin, you know what's great at the moment? What's great, Michael? There's racing. There's racing everywhere. And in fact, you actually got to go to some racing a few, well, I think it's just over a week ago now, at Daytona, IMSA's return. How was the racing at Daytona? How was the experience of being at Daytona in the summertime? Uh, it was, um, uh, more relief than anything else. Cause it's just kind of, it's been nice to, uh, go to a race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, I, I've just been fortunate to have gone to Daytona, which is one of the last sports car races that were really held, uh, until, uh, coronavirus kind of hit. So my, uh, ability to actually be at a racetrack and all that stuff, uh, was pretty recent. Um, and we were going to be doing Sebring pretty quickly until that got suspended, but, um, yeah, so I, I feel like I, I've had a shorter break than most, but still, I feel like with all everything going on and whatnot, it was really awesome, <clears throat> just from, uh, regardless of like how everything else was, just to uh, kind of be in the stands and uh, to kind of smell petrol burning, again, mm. high, uh, high octane petrol smart burning, so, but yeah, it was it was great. Um, I mean, it's, uh, under the circumstances, it is what it is, I mean, like, you know, you can complain sort of about the aspects of it that were restricted but overall i think the product that they put forth for everybody was appropriate and i think that the race was pretty solid in terms of a short race that really didn't feature any cautions so i mean Mm. if you're gonna look at our safety cars so if you're gonna look at that aspect of it um where they just they really just didn't have any breaks at all it was a pretty solid race uh, where you kind of near the end, you kind of, you, you had an idea of who was going to win, but at the same time, the strategy was running all the way up until the end uh, for some of the classes. So um, just from even like looking at it on the stat sheet, it was a pretty solid race in my opinion, but uh, it definitely like, it's not, it's not a thrilling race with a bunch yeah. of accidents and, you know, banging and beating and banging and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. there was some great, great racing though uh, mm. in, interspersed were there so yeah it was it was a perfectly fine imsa two hour and 40 minute race it was basically exactly what uh you would have expected from an imsa race um you also got on the 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 stream didn't you you had a had a moment of glory as the cars were leading away on their formation lap did you did you yeah. hear about that <laughs> uh 
Uh, I saw it. Uh, yeah, I was. I actually was watching it. I, I mean, I I kind of had a mind to maybe see because they usually do that kind of stuff. They pan anyway. Not like in the moment I was going to do it, but like looking back, watching the stream as it was coming up, I was like, all right, maybe, you know, maybe they'll just like catch me because I, I had a large hat. I'm tall, so you know, yeah, I stand up. You know, Americans would get this like uh, you know the Price is Right thing. You know, the most the most like out. Uh, outlandishly over the top personality person usually gets like picked and all that stuff. So I guess there you go. I've just I went I went over the top uh, <laughs> fanboy uh, waving at it. But yeah, man. I mean, gotta gotta acknowledge you. And that's yeah. the thing too. It's kind of like you know I don't know if there's five thousand people in the stands, but uh, you know I try to kind of make make sure that there is like some movement there. You know, because I I mean I feel like that's everybody's looking like that too or looking at it. Yeah, uh, slightly too like that. So that was cool to see all the uh, crews line up and yeah, uh, kind of all the cars as they went past the uh, start finish line for the warm up lap. Yeah, because that was Fourth of July uh, in America, which I think is the first time that they've had a Fourth of July weekend race in America in the time that I've been watching IMSA. Because normally they're off in Canada over the the Independence Day weekend. So yeah, what was the experience of like actually being at an IMSA race? for that weekend was there like tailgating and barbecues and shit like that or you did you have to like stay appropriately distanced um i think well when you got into the uh facility they did a like non-contact thermal temperature scan which uh you know whatever um and then make sure you have a mask or at least like your you know all that other stuff i think when you got in there they provide you a mask hand sanitizer and some other stuff too so if you didn't have anything but they definitely they had like people walking around with like like uh, signs that quite literally said, "Please wear a mask" or "Please whatever." It had that's like you know like mask instructions and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. that's they like, just had a lot of that's a lot like, of staff uh, there. That's like people uh, at like the Adelaide Five Hundred uh, walking around the track with like buckets of sunscreen and bottled water, just hand out hand hand out to people, all about keeping people safe. Which is that's actually quite nice. I'm uh, not. Not surprised, but that's actually quite heartwarming to see that uh, an in- organization like IMSA is taking it seriously like that. She's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I feel like there's a bit of NASCAR too in that yeah. as well, just because like they they all want this to where they can actually make more money off of you know it, that is re- legitimately a lot of the reason why they're trying to do this too and to bring it back, and that's kind of like why we also need to have like them race because mm. not like stick and ball sports where you can kind of dig in a bit you know for how long this is going to be like race teams are on limited contracts budget sponsorships so and some of those companies too are going to be wanting you know like answers to whatever's going to be happening if they can't fulfill them so yeah there's definitely an aspect where we want to have everybody back in the stands as quickly as possible and i think for them you know, they understand that as well as, you know, for NASCAR coming there, I think they're trying to have more people there. So they're wanting to like prove that they can space yeah. people out, do all this other stuff. So I think there was a little bit more of an over top aspect of it because it was the first race pretty much in Florida or like the, I would say the first like sporting event in the state of Florida that had public uh, access, limited public access to it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we'll see about Sebring. Sebring is going to be different and We'll talk later about how IndyCar at Road America a little bit too, if we want to talk about that regard, because that was a little bit more, you know, uh, you know, because they were right on the uh, edge of the fence sometimes, like really close to each other and all that other stuff. Sebring, I like the way that they're introducing it uh, right. and how they're trying to 
keep everybody separate but allow people to move around so. yeah okay we'll talk a bit about sebring once we talk about daytona and it, it seems to not matter what time of year we go to daytona whether it be the middle of winter or the middle of summer one constant is weather and we got a pretty significant weather interruption just about an hour, well in the lead up to the race uh, start which ended up delaying the start by i think it was about 30 minutes or 40 minutes uh, was that the case Yes. To be fair, there. to be fair, when I was I was watching the replay, I skipped through all the the weather interruptions. But there was a pretty significant weather interruption that meant that we had a starting period where a lot of different teams were in a lot of different tires, uh, which meant that we had a a very interesting first forty five to fifty minutes of teams sorting out their pit strategy and getting onto the correct tires and all that sort of stuff. But I was surprised at how quickly the track cleaned up it was only 15 minutes of racing and there was a very very clear dry line and you could see those who were on wets already beginning to fall down the pack was that as obvious from where you were sitting at first it was confusing because some of the some of the cars were definitely going a lot slower than normal and uh so that was kind of and because i i they were having uh imsa radio broadcast but it wasn't really loud um just kind of as per usual with that and uh but they did kind of once you did see after three or four laps what was happening. You're like, okay, they've got to be on different tires, especially with Tandy overtaking DPI cars. You're yeah. like, what is going on? That was um, hilarious <laughs> and a little scary. <laughs> yeah, so once that once that kind of got figured out, and I and watching the the broadcast too, uh, Hindi got confused thinking that he was like dicing with the uh, Corvettes and BMWs, and he was, <laughs> you know, completely out of frame already by like the second or third corner. Yeah. And I mean, it stretched like that, but that was the thing. I mean, like it needed to go and you could tell kind of how much time they needed. And it was like almost a good half lap. I mean, it's a good a second or a minute, 10, 10 seconds kind of from just going in the pits to exiting yep. that they had needed just so much time that it wasn't, it just ended up not being worth it. But I mean, for how it looked beforehand, and it was pretty much sprinkling, and it was raining sprinkling, and it was just like the perfect, I mean, if they didn't have that lightning, it it probably would have worked much better for them, Uh, because there was only like a little bit of lightning that when we were parking uh, and getting out, and that's what pretty much hit like an extra 30 minutes on the delay immediately when they were pretty much, I think the broadcast was coming on, but uh if that if that did not happen, they would have absolutely had a much better chance at it. Mm at like having a, a go at the strategy. I don't know if they would have been way ahead, but they definitely would have been much more even because they were behind the eight ball. The nine eleven was pretty much from the get go after they had to pit early for dry tires. Yeah. So. That, that was the thing. But I like the strategy tries yeah. though. I liked it. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing. You're exactly right. Uh, the, the gain of having the, the wet tires on for that short period of time, while it looked great on paper, it didn't really pay dividends on the other end of the stint when you had to take that extra pit stop to get on the, onto the correct tires. And uh, you know, there's a saying in, in, I think I've heard this plenty of times in F1, you want to be on the right tires for the right condition. So I think an example is, I think it was Nick Heinfeld in a race around Spa-Francorchamps. He pitted eight times to change tires and ended up finishing second because he was on the right tires for the right time. But in a yep. in a condition like that where the rain was going away, there wasn't enough time to gain that advantage, unfortunately, for the Porsches. But they got close. They got really, really close in the end. And the uh, battle at the end of the race in GTLM, uh, GT Le Mans, 
was the pick of the battles again typical imsa gt Le Mans carrying the team uh in terms of the the battles it was the pick of the battles towards the end of the race and got very very tight at the end between the recovering 911 the 912 the sister car and i think it was the number four corvette uh in the first well i think now the second race of the corvette c8 uh yeah going down to the wire for the last 20 minutes or so really realistically still that is where you find uh different strategies where you can just try you know more maybe maybe thinking too much into it but uh, thinking too much you know Mm. you don't usually see or at least like you know it's restricted slightly to formula one a little bit with lmp1h that kind of thing but like i feel like in gtlm gte pro you just see a lot of these like okay we we've analyzed everything the data's out like we we all know kind of what we can do you know we've even analyzed comp- competitors and what their where their strengths are here's where we think we could take advantage of this that like it's it's so weirdly like precise precise uh precisely calculated in terms of how they even attack the race weekend or like differ strategies try to get ahead and advantage that yeah it's a, it's a real shame that we're kind of like losing that force kind in sports car racing that you just kind of see and you're like okay fine gtd is just like all right lexus clearly was you know faster but with gtlm it was okay well uh, the bmws do look a little bit faster than everybody else at least on pace or at least they're pushing harder uh like but corvette is working on strategy same with porsche they split their strategy so it was you know, there, you can always kind of expect something else to kind of happen in, in GTLM. And if it doesn't, that's really out of the norm. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. And if it doesn't, the cars are pretty closely matched enough that you get a train of battling throughout the entire race. So GTLM, right. yeah, tends to deliver. And speaking of delivering, the Corvette, uh, with that win, that race, took home their 100th american one series slash imsa race win 100 that's pretty impressive yeah yeah it means you uh you know you know how to get to victory land you keep doing it yeah <laughs> over and, and over and over again and that's, that's hard to do it that's including like a, an entire season where they didn't win a race but won the championship because they were just that consistent so yeah props to corvette for that one and a good return for the c8 proving that it's it's got the business it means it means the biz I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm too tired. The quality of the GTLM battles was not reflected in GTD. Uh, It seemed, unfortunately, in GTD that there were clear favorites and clear uh, beneficiaries of the balance of performance or the the pace uh, over the course of the race and clear losers uh so we basically had a lexus one two for the entirety of the race they were pretty well unchallenged uh between the 14 and the number 12 uh leading to a one two victory um however if you look a little deeper into it i think the biggest loser out of the entire gtd field is the compass racing mclaren did you see what happened to the compass racing guys uh, I, well, I saw that they must have had something that got penalized where they couldn't start on pole because I think they got pole, right? Yep, they got pole. <laughs> they got pole. They didn't make it out into the grid on time, so they had to start from pit lane and take a drive-through penalty. So after you do that on lap one, there's no way of coming back. And they were, at one point, the fastest cars on track. Well, the fastest car on track, faster than the, the uh, Lexuses. Lexi? Lexi's. Lexi. Lexi. Um, <laughs> 
And yeah, unfortunately, they were just uh, disadvantaged from the get go. So uh, really bad luck for Compass, um, especially. Yeah, they they spawned too after mm. probably pushing pretty hard for however many laps consistently. So yeah, so a, a real shame for them. But it really just left the Lexus to take a pretty well unchallenged victory. They never really looked troubled, which you know is a little surprising considering we've come to expect a GTD you know, competition in most races that just wasn't there today or uh, over the weekend. Right. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I mean, they were probably by far the best prepared GTD team there outside of maybe Michael Shank, mm. I would say. Um, and with a two-car effort like that, I, I feel like they approached it, it probably in the most professional way you could out of all the GTD teams, not, you know, not saying anything against everybody else that was in there, but feel like the the msr team was probably the one if they were going to be challenging it would be them you know or one of the porsche teams just ha- you know hitting the setup pretty well like the intermediate to like you know green track setup and maybe taking it to them but otherwise yeah i mean when, when you saw lexus take you know jump out and just not really see any challenges and they were going i think you know maybe not one lap longer but they were it didn't look like they were short pitting at all. So, you know, the pace was consistent. They both were just gapping, you know, almost consistently with each other. But just pacing the field, it was just kind of, all right, so I'm moving on to DPI and GTLM. Yeah. Uh, but again, hats off to them. I mean, uh, with a reduced field like that, too, I mean, you, a lot of people will take a little bit of gas off the pedal as well. And it's a shorter race. So um, you, the, the feeling is to push a little bit more intensely and they were able to kind of manage that and kind of push through it and then got a one, two, which is not easy, uh, you know, regardless and especially in the circumstances. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to maybe quiz you a little bit on your thoughts on this. Uh, it was Lexus one, two from the Acura's three, four, and then the remainder of the field were the, all the single car entries. Now, remember when we were talking um, last episode, me and Ollie, we mentioned that uh, it was a little different to see so many single car entries from different manufacturers do you think having the two cars in the team uh for the lexus and for the acura ended up be- becoming an advantage over the course of this race yeah 100 percent. there's more data being shared i mean there was qualifying you know practice you're, you're trying different stuff there's there's more opportunity for more drivers to get a read and feedback to the team collectively uh you know and the, and we know sports car racing is such a collaborative effort it has been and it is it, crucially now uh more so than probably a lot of other sports you know so that really i mean you're you're gonna find that advantage easier you know with the two-car team i, I like the aspect that we have so much so many single car teams uh i mean they're all from different manufacturers and that's just a bonus uh i you know I, it's it's I think it, it, it matters just from the aspect of manufacturers, uh, you know, that are wanting or like at, te- at least teams uh, confident enough in their manufacturers and in their future to want to continue, like to immediately show back up, especially for this this year in this championship. Unless a lot of this is just like, let's see if we can get this this year and fold. But, yeah. um, you know, at the optimistic approach, you know, in my opinion, would be like looking at it where it does seem like, we've got still a decent amount of manufacturers that are uh, wanting to be in play still in IMSA, even through all this stuff. So that's good to see. Yeah, it, it is kind of encouraging to see so many different GT3 marks represented, but I can't help wondering if a little bit of that may be some sort of sunk cost, literal sunk cost, in terms of the 
one million manufacturer you know commitment that they have to do season on season in order to get their cars on the grid so you know maybe for a group like audi or like lamborghini or mclaren where that might already have been paid on for the daytona 24 hours they're like well if you can get there please go because you know we've spent this money to get you guys on the grid and we'd like to get some reimbursement back from that um because we did make mention last episode that there was quite a number of teams who were missing from the grid including a few Audis a, a number of Lamborghinis so yeah I wonder I wonder if there is a a sunk cost element to the variety in the GTD field I mean it was still still great to see that many that a variety of cars and that many different marks but yeah I, I wonder how much that's playing into it I guess we'll find out further on in the season uh, as we approach some of the different races towards the end of the season We'll see how that works because I, I agree with you. I think there is a little bit of that aspect to it. Um, but And ultimately, this is kind of why that was in play, why the, this is such a huge, important deal is that like IMSA gets this kind of manufacturer support because they have to submit this amount of money in IMSA. So, yeah. um, you know, the positive, the benefit, you know, and I'll add to that is that while, yes, manufacturers are kind of like, oh, fine, we, you know, we probably just should because we already put that much money in this year. It also kind of keeps these teams afloat, whereas they might be struggling right now, not like not necessarily to go to the track, but just kind of be like, okay, fine, we're not probably going to be racing this year. Yeah. Just we don't have the sponsorship. Can we do this next year? And whereas right now they're like, we're, you know, we still operate as kind of normal. We can work on what we're doing next year, but for right now, we're still working for like, you know, we're still working this year, which is a lot better than a lot of other people in the sports industry can say for that. So yes, hundred percent that. So whether or not that is an actual like tangible advantage that we find next year, where we have a lot more teams than maybe other uh, series around the world in IMSA because of this, then that is a huge, uh, a huge bonus for IMSA and something to look at for other series too, potentially, and like securing more, more uh, dedication from OEMs or at least specific sponsors yeah. or supporters, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of uh, double whammy or two sides of the coin because you'd expect with such a high upfront cost that it might deter people. But once you're committed, you kind of are committed. So you have an incentive to make the most of what you've already paid. So it's a, it's an interesting, yeah, interesting dichotomy there. Yeah. In the end of the race though, we did make mention Lexus's one, two quite convincingly. In fact, the, the final gap at the line was over a lap thanks to the, uh, the DPI field splitting the two leaders as they crossed the line. So while it looks like there's a lap gap, it was in reality much closer uh than the results uh suggest uh finally we'll move on to dpi and this race was very interesting for the first half you could tell who had gone on to started on wets and who had started on dryers and i think the cadillacs all started on slits because they plummeted down the order but as the race sort of went through and continued on uh it really came down to a battle between the two mazdas and the two acuras and then surprisingly uh, one of the cars, even in that uh, those wet conditions, uh, decided to blow up in flames. And the most surprising thing about that was that it wasn't a Mazda. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. And the way too, I mean, just with how wet everything was, I mean, you were going offline and all that stuff. They were using a lot of curbs. They were definitely sliding it a bunch, definitely throwing a lot of 
you know, weird, uh, torquey angles on some of the components. Yeah, I, for sure. You have to kind of think and assume at this point until they prove us wrong, that Mazda is going to have some problem, um, or issue, especially, uh, with the ICE. And it just kind of was like shocking to, you know, see the uh, unexpected stop for the, the Acura and have the engine cover come off of that. So, well, it was, and it's, it well, it's also, but it's, it, this is start, I'm not going to say Acura has a problem, or like that has a problem, but like they that those things have been way less bulletproof than I I would have thought. Mm, yeah, they would have. especially for a Penske operation, you kind of expect Penske to whatever whatever he touches is just to be bulletproof. But it was quite a spectacular failure as well from the number seven car. The I think it was Castro Neves uh, and uh, Ricky Taylor car just uh, fire sparking out of the exhaust on both sides under braking, and then even when it came to the pits, it was just. You know, it was basically barbecuing itself on its on the entry to pit lane, uh, and I think it was diagnosed as a, a fuel flow issue, just too much fuel going through the engine and uh, burning out into the exhaust. But yeah, it was quite surprising to see that happen to an Acura of all things. Normally, you would expect, yeah, as I said, anything fancy touches to be bulletproof. Yeah, and uh, and again, it's 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 strange too to see it happen with an Areca. I mean, and the aspect too that these things. You know, by no means am I saying that they're unreliable. They're definitely reliable. They definitely have the ability to like make it 24 hours. They've proven it time and again, but you know, but they haven't necessarily done it where like they're winning these races outright or like they're dominating these things. Mm. They're not having a push. Like it, it feels like they're having when they're when they're running it. Um, you know, they can they'll get a little bit ahead, but they're like five percent, maybe a little bit more ahead. When Cadillac or when Monster runs it, it just seems like they are able to pace the field. They're able to control the pace. You know, they're not that they don't they don't they're not worrying about equipment getting damaged. They have both cars kind of finish or with Cadillacs, their fleets finish. And again, comparing the Acura's reliability to like a Cadillac's, which has just been unbelievably bulletproof, as you would assume. But still, I mean, that's a that's a stark contrast that, again, is very shocking for a Penske operation like that. So. Yeah, and, and and again, for the amount of experience they have too, what, they're three years into this now? So yes. you'd expect kind of for this stuff to maybe go away because you're using mostly the same stuff, essentially. So yeah. uh, it's weird. Yeah, it is. It is very weird. But what that did leave was uh, the two Mazdas basically out front unchallenged to take home uh, a 1-2 victory. Uh, Jonathan Bomarito and Harry Tinknell very convincing the end, winning by about 10 seconds. And then it was the number five... Mustang sampling JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac that led home the rest of the field. The the number six uh, Acura seemed to drop away at uh, in the middle part of the race, and then uh, the factory Cadillacs didn't really have any sort of uh, pace advantage over the uh, the JDC Miller Cadillac. So in the end, it was the fifty five from the seventy seven from the number five. Now, is that a surprise to see the JDC Miller run uh, Cadillac? up on the podium when the the factory cars couldn't couldn't cut it I, they've said that they've they've kind of figured out their pace so i mean i'm i'm good who am i to judge yeah. when they say that they figured it out and maybe they have and maybe like just the switches that they need a little bit more savvy engineers um you know a little bit more just base knowledge of how the cadillac works and is set up a little bit more correctly just from a general base setup standpoint so uh, again who i have no idea but the strategy seemed to be a little bit more different. They went uh, a different direction, I think, with Mazda and everybody else. They went on dry. I think they were dries. 
they were on slicks to start. So they went for a kind of just a, that a alternate strategy from what Mazdas were doing and the Acura's and everybody else kind of. So it was a few of the Cadillacs that did that, I think, uh, Action Express did that with the 31 too. So, but they just ended up working out where that they were just, they had much better pace throughout the entire race and they were kind of the best of that alternate strategy to start the race. I think I, I I'm not sure if they, if there was anything that they jumped in between, but I'm pretty sure that's just kind of mm-hmm. how it ended up. Um, and they almost made that strategy kind of work where they were, they weren't within shouting, you know, they were within shouting distance. They definitely weren't within, you know, kind of snapping distance at any of the Mazdas. They were definitely the pace of the field, but um, they had everybody else kind of covered on, on that maybe besides the number seven, but it, I think it would yeah. have been pretty close between that and the number five had that not blown up. Yeah. In well, well, so. The thing is just looking at some lap times, uh, the, the number five was the only car to get into the 35s besides the two mazdas like even even the the accurate sorry even the yeah the accuras pardon me um they couldn't get uh that deep into the um into the 35s they're all sitting around the 36s so uh interesting interesting note there and that'll be a very interesting development throughout the season to see whether or not um the number five car specifically can take it to the the rest of the factory cadillac buddies yeah, I mean, I would love to see it. I mean, give me give me anything that isn't necessarily a direct factory driver, you know, yep. to that end. And uh, and I will be extremely happy uh, just because I think that just that gives a whole lot more and extra stuff to the sport to kind of promote and to really have the benefit for the, some of these other teams to, you know, get uh, get the TV time. And, and again, now it's just like if we can get more diversity on the front of the, uh, at the front of the field. It's better for the sport and it's better for these teams just because, you know, like, yeah. you know, we all say it. everybody wants a win. Everybody needs to win. I think a lot of these guys need need good runs, good results and good wins to keep everybody, you know, keep the ship afloat kind of yeah. thing. So. And, and not only that, it also provides a very good advertisement for uh, manufacturers who might have been looking at a potential LMDH program pre-COVID if they if they can still show that you can get into this series and be competitive and win races um, no matter if you're spending billions of dollars a year or thousands of dollars a year um, if you can show that it's a competitive series with a lot of different winners then that's a very good advertisement to maybe entice some of these manufacturers back into motor racing once um, finances start to level out a bit more in the coming years um, so that was basically the race uh in the end uh what do you what were your thoughts on the overall like racing product because i had some thoughts uh as well <laughs> i'll put it there yeah i mean it's 26 race cars at daytona i mean it's not it's not going to be the greatest race that you've ever seen in your in your life and daytona did the, the you know the uh, roval at daytona is a tricky course um, but a lot of that is because that it they're tough corners and they also, you know, just they, they trip up a lot of drivers, too. So uh, a lot of inexperienced drivers, a lot of gentleman drivers, that kind of stuff. So when you basically remove half of the field and then you also remove the inexperienced, the gentleman driver half of the field, too, uh, you get a lot more of, you know, precision driving there. You know, you have two or three or four actual corners of overtaking. A lot of it is just one lane, you know, don't fly off the track kind of thing, especially in the wet uh, and drying conditions. They're not trying to do anything too crazy. 
so yeah, the the overall product I think was not necessarily the greatest thing, but I think for what they could do and offer, it was probably as good as it could get. Which is, you know, I I I'm looking forward to Sebring more than I yeah. I you know because of Daytona for sure because I think Sebring's going to produce a, probably a better race. Yeah, I I, I would hundred percent agree. I remember thinking or saying to a few people leading into the race that you know, a return to racing at Daytona isn't probably going to be that great, you know, because part of the reason that Daytona is a challenging event is because it's a 24-hour race and you have those large grids, which uh, adds a lot of variability. Um, I think once you remove that, as you said, things become a little too simple at Daytona. I don't really find it as a, a charming or fascinating course. I mean, there's like three interesting corners i've just probably offended a lot of people here but that's that's just my opinion so i i didn't really didn't really enjoy the race i'll be i'll be entirely honest but the the gt lm battle towards the end kept me interested but i am as in agreement with you much more looking forward to sebring which is coming up this weekend and lucky you you get to go to another race meet bastard mm-hmm. yes sir so, so how you, we made mention at the top of the show that they're uh, doing things a little differently at Sebring. Can you give us a bit of a run through about how that's going to work? Uh, so they're doing it slightly differently. Uh, everybody was sectioned off at Daytona. Like infield could move around the infield slightly. They couldn't stand sit in any of the infield bleachers, and uh, the people in the stands could not go in the infield at all. Uh, they were not allowed, and so you pretty much just had to sit in your seat the entire time, which. Uh, you know, again, two hours, 40 minutes, it's it's fine. Uh, but, you know, at the end, you know, it's it's nice to be able to walk around, obviously, with the 24 hours, but it's nice to just be able to walk around a, a sports car race and get different angles. You're just kind of used to seeing that all the time. You're not used to stadium seating and you're there the entire time. Yeah. So, But uh, Sebring is different. They are sectioning off a lot of stuff. Uh, so you, I can't get over to Turn 10 Green Park where I usually camp at. That is, I don't know if that's even going to be used for anything, but that might be where some RVs can go. Uh, otherwise, most of the RVs, I think, are going to be along the turn one, turn two, slash uh, turn 12, 13 kink. Yep. Uh, or uh, 14, 15, whatever. Uh, that that stretch back there where they can uh, camp an RV. They're all going to stay in that, that area. Anybody, I think, in Green Park is going to stay in that area for camping or RVing. And then we're all, anybody that's just going for the day, uh, is able to go in the midway area. So just along the front stretch of turn one, turn two, all along Big Bend and down to uh, turn seven, the hairpin. So yeah. we'll be able to kind of park and then walk around there. The nice thing about that, though, is we'll obviously we have to wear masks and stuff. But if we're with outside of range of like uh, other people, not in our party, up to like six people, we don't have to wear a mask. So we can oh, kind of dude. like, and we can bring coolers, that kind of stuff, bring food, drinks, that thing. So we can kind of walk around do stuff but if we're within range other people if we're getting i think they're gonna they might have concessions or something there too i'm not sure but if we're within there obviously going to the bathroom and stuff we gotta wear masks and all that so i like that because it's at least it's that it, that is a plausible approach to having larger crowds for some of these longer events that are coming up in the fall like obviously mm. with uh, spiking cases now i feel like there's you know you, you could ab- absolutely say there's a wave coming but i still think we have enough time where if everybody starts to get the message finally uh, this kind of policy will absolutely, like, I think, work for yeah. larger crowds. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't want to turn this into a, like a, a political thing where you're just like mask, no mask, blah blah blah. Um, but I do just want to say that it is uh, 
comforting to to see as i mentioned earlier organizations take it a bit more seriously and you know mandate things like masks and that sort of stuff um it is very different to what is happening on my side of the world uh at, at least in my localized area where we've we're looking at returning to things quite normally now so it's it, it is still a little I want to say a little scary to to me. You know, I I, I don't know. There's definitely yeah. that aspect, the, the, the selfishness, and I'm sure I'll get some hate too for my decision to be going to Daytona and to this too right now when you know we do our we're seeing large amount of uh, cases. So it's, I don't know. Uh, certainly... I'm speaking very politically correct right now, but yeah, I I don't know. I I will be going to that. I will be doing what I can to stay safe. But it is a very unique scenario, and I absolutely desperately want to support IMSA. Uh, in any way I can, I bought a shirt for this. Just, I don't know. I mean, I mean, realistically too, I, I I don't know how much this helps or hurts them. And you know, especially for this kind of stuff, I want to show my support. And if yeah. I can go to some place that that's that close, I will do it, and I'll do whatever I can to be safe, so that it's a win-win for everybody. So yeah, we'll see. it's it's yeah. I'm not going to fault the decisions you make. I just want people to be safe. So be mm-hmm. safe, Cookie. All right, I will. Good. 10-4, buddy. Um, we should actually talk about the race that's going to happen at Sebring because there are a few little changes. Um, I think uh, there's a loss of two cars in GTD for Sebring. Uh, the two Shank racing Acuras are not making the journey to uh, to Sebring. Um but uh, on the other hand, we do get the return of the LMP2 class, which is actually five strong. Uh, which so I think it's most cars. I think it's all cars that raced at Daytona. Uh, in fact, in that class. Um, so Tower Motorsports by Sarworks, uh, Aero Motorsports, Performance Tech, P1 Matheson, and Dragon Speed. So yeah, a, a full LMP2 class as well competing at Sebring. Do we have a full DPI? Did you say that there were some people missing? Uh, DPI is all the same. GT Le Mans is all the same. It was just the two Maya Shank Racing Acuras that I'm going to be missing. Okay, gotcha. Yep, there. Yeah, that's where I'm seeing the difference there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're gaining uh, a couple cars, you know, just in total car count. But, you know, we're losing a little bit from GTD. Um, I do think, you know, that we're we're going to see. We'll, we'll absolutely see how this goes. Yeah. I, I think too because we have um you know it's more it's this is less where i think the lexus is lexi have the advantage and i feel like they're a little bit more like the cadillacs and dpi where they they run much better at daytona than a lot of the tracks that they're at we'll see if their pace can is consistent but i'm looking forward to just seeing the crazy amount of different cars and very little of them are going to have matching paint schemes or look the same yeah exactly uh, it's gonna be really cool Cool. So that is our chat about IMSA. We've been talking for about 40 minutes, so good on us. I'll uh, pat myself on the back for that one. Well Go done. Ahead. I'm proud of you. Uh, now you. let's jump across the pond because uh, also returning this weekend amongst another uh, a number of other series, which are going to be crazy, um, is my favorite championship of 2019, my most anticipated championship of this year. It's the European Le Mans series. It's finally back. Woo! Ooh, I'm so, yeah. so excited to see European Le Mans series back. I have been absolutely enthralled by the quality of this series in the recent years. And the the fact that we're finally going to see uh, LMP2 cars and LMP3 cars back in Europe uh, is unbelievably exciting to me. I am, I, I am over the moon about this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we also get some new chassis. Yes, well. uh, we'll, we'll chat about that uh, in a sec, um, but we should just uh, take a look at the, the format for the week because they're basically cramming the prologue and round one into a single week. Um, so I think we're recording this uh, Tuesday my time, um, Tuesday the 14th, and so today for uh, the European Le Mans series, when they wake up in Europe, they'll have uh, three, I think it's three two-hour sessions or three four-hour sessions. Oh, no, actually, that's not right. Two four-hour sessions and a two-hour session um, for the evening, and then another two three-hour sessions tomorrow, um, with which will be their prologue test, essentially. And then coming back on, later on the week, it'll be uh, your full round of uh, practice warm-up qualifying and the race and that's alongside uh michelin le mans cup as well so uh pretty packed schedule a lot of running to cram into one week feels a little bit like le mans yeah uh or just a, at least definitely a uh a preview of what will be le mans coming up in a, in a couple months but yeah it's it's going to be a lot of uh, uh it's going to be a grueling week for these teams to kind of get everything together and uh for the drivers not to crash thankfully again it's at paul ricard so um, unless you're running into somebody, um, it's going to be hard to hit something. Well, so, see, you say uh, that, you say that, but I remember when Porsche were testing the 911 RSR, the 2019 model, uh, one of the drivers like full on destroyed a chassis on the second lap that they did. So just put it entirely into the wall. So it is possible. It might not be easy, oh. but it is possible. Okay. Fair. Yeah. You know what? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're probably not wrong there. Uh, but yeah, I, I also am looking uh, very, very much towards this opening round for the OMS. Obviously, the car counts are uh, pretty, really, yeah, pretty good, really good for uh, uh, having not started the season yet, and uh, and for how many um, I would classify as amateur entries are on this list too is very cool to see, uh, and just the staggering amount of LMP twos that are still hanging around yeah. in this class is just ridiculous. Um, uh, but it is now very, very, very much so uh, LMP Eureka with a lone Ligier standing out and in, with inner Europol. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so. I, didn't, I didn't realize it had gotten that homogenous. Um, so we should talk about the entry list uh, just to keep, give everyone a bit of a refresher of where we are. Uh, 37 cars uh, for the week split into 15 LMP2 cars, 12 LMP3 cars. And we'll talk a little bit about them later on because that's a very exciting prospect in LMP3 and 10 GTE cars, so a real growth in the GTE series over the off-season. You did make mention uh, of those 15 LMP2s, there are 14 Oricas and a Sol Ligier. Uh, We were expecting a Dallara from Thunderhead Carlin, but that uh, pulled out at the last minute. And we've also lost, I think, second cars for, pardon me, into Europol and uh, uh, Ultimate. Uh, Ultima Orica, so they've uh, pulled out. Um, there's been a few driver changes as well, uh, a few high-profile driver changes, two of which are in the championship winning and championship second place cars from last season. Uh, the IDEX Sport uh, Orica and the G-Drive Orica with a new driver in each car. So firstly, Paul Loup Chatin and Paul Lafargue, who dramatically won the series last year at uh, Algarve, have enjoyed by Richard Bradley, uh, who won Le Mans back in, I think it was 2016, with uh, with KCMG uh, joining that team. So that's really exciting to uh, to see that team come together. Um, and they've ousted Memo Rojas, who's joined Dragon Speed. 
and that's going to be pretty exciting to see how Dragon Speed uh, does. Although, you know, not having Lapierre on the uh, on the entry list, at least for them, they will have to make sure that they can fight through the field uh, because he'll, he will put another Oreka on pole wherever else he's driving in, uh, in European Le Mans series. So. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the, the shakeups. Uh, I don't, you know, like I, I'm not a huge fan of the 26, but from a driver's uh, standpoint, that is a solid pickup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good job for them again. Yay. Uh, we should, we yeah. should qu- just quickly mention 26. Uh, we've, of course, Roman Rusinov driving that car. Um, he's got uh, Nick DeFries coming over from Formula 2 um, in that car. And stepping up from LMP3, Mikkel Jensen, uh, which if I remember correctly, was part of the championship winning team last year in, yeah, reigning LMP3 uh, champion, Mikkel Jensen. So that was driving, uh, oh, who was it last year that it was a, a tight battle? Uh, you're on a national. Yes, that was it. Um, so yeah, stepping up into uh, a championship contending LMP2 car, that's a big step for, for the silver driver. It is, but I, I, I feel like for them, they, they have mostly the setup down at this point, and it's the same car, same kind of track, a little bit different, probably retire management, that kind of thing. But um, he's got a really, really, really experienced or really, really quick mentor uh, with DeFreeze. And then obviously with Rusinov, who um, is as gold platinumed of a uh, amateur as you could possibly get. So yeah. I, I feel like he's got a good he'll have a good stability to improve at now how much he's gonna you know be awkward about this um these first few races we'll see just because i i feel like you know it's a whole different animal and we usually kind of see some clumsiness with these drivers when they make the uh the step up but i feel like he especially for how this works with lmp3 it shouldn't be that difficult for him so Mm. i i i I don't see them needing to take too much time to wait for him to kind of get gets uh and get his feet under him you know what i mean yeah so. yeah, yeah uh it, it should that, that's definitely gonna be a championship contending car uh another championship contending car that we have yet to mention uh, are the two united autosports cars so uh the f- first one we're still familiar with that driver lineup uh philip Vanson and felipe albuquerque uh as a as a dynamic duo that's pretty crazy in itself their second car uh they've got now william owen uh who's been another united autosports am driver for a little while uh paired up with alex brundle and job van otert so that's that is a crazy good car uh, for the second of the United Autosports cars. Yep, absolutely. That's that's another one that if you look at at the entry list and at that driver lineup, you're going, all right. Well, they're going to get one race of my wins. top five of that class. Yeah. You know, at this point, yeah, they're 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 definitely down for at least a, a one or two race wins for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all the other usual suspects are there from last season. You've got High Class Racing, uh, Dragon Speed, we've made mention of Algarve Pro returning with two cars. Um, Duquesne uh, back in LMP2 with a lineup of Gomedy, uh, Hershey, and Tereshenko. So that one will be certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, Panas Racing as well. That's actually a really good driver lineup. Julian Canal, Nicholas Jamin, and Will Stevens uh, for Panas Racing. So that 31 car is going to be a force to be contending with as well. Um, we've made mention of Inter Europol and the Sol Ligier. Um, a, a new team, I think, uh, for 
the ELMS, BHK Motorsport. It's a British flagged operation uh, with two Italian drivers, uh, Francesco Dracone and uh, Sergio Campagna. So I'm interested to see how they go. Uh, and then Cool Racing, Graf, and the last one on the entry list, uh, Ricard Mille Racing Team, the all-female uh, lineup uh, that was planned for Le Mans, uh, is making their debut, uh, featuring Catherine Legg and Tatiana Calderon. Now, they're certainly going to get a fair bit of media attention. Uh, how do you rate their chances? Not too great. <laughs> uh, they, I, I, I hope they have some good strategy. Uh, at some, sometimes that, and they'll they'll have some decent race pace. Uh, I feel like that will be, you know, any, any positive news that comes out of that team will be good for the sport. But I just don't see where they're going to have a lot of uh, competition. Uh, that is going to be at their level. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit higher than their level. Yeah, think, so. that's, that's I, I 100% agree. Um, I think it will be quite obvious when Leg is in the car compared to Calderon, yes. but I don't yep. think, I think the standard of competition overall is just a bit too high for them to make any um, remarkable inroads. I will be, like, I, I mean, I said the same thing about the uh, the Iron Ladies last year uh, in the Kessel Racing Team, and they ended up taking a podium in the first race. So, you know, uh, it is it is possible, but I think just on the whole, when you look at the LMP2 field, it is just, the quality is so astonishingly high that you really have to be seriously good to be, to be challenging as a first-time driver. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be a more interesting race team in the uh, IMSA series right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, just looking at those 15 cars, uh, who are you really excited to see? Who do you reckon is going to be taking out the race wins? Uh, probably G-Drive, but, you know, if I wasn't a cynical <laughs> asshole. You uh, said that with um, such disdain. It's like, oh, yeah. G-Drive. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I put it in there for that. Uh, yeah, the United All Sports guys. I would like to see them do well. Um, Dragon Speed, I think, might also have a decent go at it. Um, it'll be cool to see. <laughs> uh, you know, that was totally unintentional, but I'll take it. Cool racing. <laughs> uh, I just have a feeling Lapia is going to put on pole a few times. Uh, you know, they'll fade back, but just to have a different car up front that won't, you know, kind of be up there. It's different aspect of sports car racing. You know, the pole pole sitter doesn't always in hmm. in this case for Lapier, i don't believe he'll probably win a lot of races if he sticks on pole even either way so well I, um, we, we haven't really talked about cool racing i think their breakout season uh last year was very underrated uh and i will say that if they get lucky with their driver placements if they for example put Kanye in the car and get a safety car immediately afterwards or something like that they could come back and win races because Borger is a super silver. He's just way too good for a silver rating. And then you've got Lapierre as well, and we've seen what Lapierre does. So it, it, it could pan out for them quite nicely, and it, in fact, did last year at Silverstone. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I mean, you, you're not wrong. I just think that the way that this is now, the, the field has kind of shifted, driver lineups especially that. I think the, the tide's risen a bit more collectively yeah, okay. field against them, that it's just... I feel like it's going to be more of a challenge, but at the same time, like I said, I feel like they will be there and you'll at least see a different car up front, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, United Auto Sports, you drive will be good. Um, yeah. I, you know, just usual suspects. If you see a name that sticks out, pretty much go for it. Graph might, you know, stick their nose in something every now and then we'll see, but yeah. Um, 
yeah, it, the there's a lot of talent that's going to be coming from Mystical Race at Le Mans. Yeah. I'm I'm happy about that. Yeah, I I would unfortunately I think uh, Maymo Rojas may be just a little better than Richard Bradley. Um, but that's that's still pretty close in in terms of you know driver quality. Um, unfortunately, the the IDEX Sport team, the reigning champions, don't really have that wow factor driver like you have in say the G Drive Racing with Nick DeFries or in the United Autosports with Job Van Oetert. So that that's the sort of uh, might be might play against them. But I'm actually quite excited to have a look at the Kangos. Uh, this season, I reckon they might be a sleeper with Gomendi, Hershey, and Tereshenko, and even Panos Racing. Uh, that that driver lineup is has a lot more quality than me, uh, first meets the eye. So I reckon those two might be good to to keep an eye on throughout the season. Yeah. Now you've been wanting to talk about this for six months. LMP3, the debut of the brand new LMP3 chassis. Uh, the Legio JSP320 and the Duquesne M30 D08. Uh, the debut of brand new LMP3 machinery, uh, Duquesne taking over from Norma um, in terms of the uh, the supply line for that. The ten, 12 cars in LMP3, that's going to be a really interesting championship. Yeah, that and uh, as a season opener for a new chassis too, that is exciting. Uh, and they will have a lot of uh, data to get, and we'll see how the teething works. But I, you know, I think they've got most of this ironed out, especially with Leche. They, they'll, they'll probably have everything done, <laughs> buttoned up pretty Nicely. tightly, I guess. You know, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we won't have a ton of that kind of thing. But to see a whole fleet of new uh, new chassis is, yeah, that's what I, I I live for that kind of stuff, man. I love I love seeing new cars. So uh, yeah, this is definitely cool, and both of them look pretty uh, pretty pretty 2020 if i'll if i'll just say that they look, they look very very much like there was a lot of over design with them but very specific design for it and a lot of led lights everywhere so yeah. i'm excited gotta love that led lights reminds me of need for speed underground <laughs> exactly exactly now hopefully they just pull us or do some some crazy strobing or something like that and then we'll be <laughs> Just RGB effects entirely underneath the mm-hmm. car, the entire yeah, race. Suicide, suicide doors, because why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, on a serious note, though, uh, it is going to be uh, telling. It is a little telling that of the four LMP3 manufacturers, only two have been chosen um, by the teams and the European Le Mans series. We do do not see any Ades or. Is it Janetta, which is the third LMP3 manufacturer or fourth LMP3 yeah. manufacturer? Uh, yeah, Janetta and then. Um... And the Ades. Um, on that note, interestingly, um, the first car to come down under for the L- uh, planning to be raced in the LMP3 Australia series has been Anades. So that's I was surprised by that, and we'll see how that turns out for uh, for those guys in that series. Um, but it is also important to remember that the Duquesne cars are all carrying a weight penalty due to not being homologated on time. So they we will see at least for the first season a little bit of hurt from the decaying cars and that might uh sway the results a bit more into the Ligier bracket you might expect yeah oh i think yes especially because of that uh because of that weight difference yeah Ligier should probably yeah, like I, it would be pretty shocking if they did not get uh get some form of a dominant win just just from that standpoint i mean who knows maybe maybe not but um and again 
the dynamic of these cars will be so different where I'm used to the Ligiers not being as fast on the straights, but making a little bit of it up in the corners and being more of a stable car over the, you know, but the, you know, Duquesne's or, you know, what previously, you know, the previous one, like that was different. Yeah. Higher top speed normal. I'm sorry. Um, so you should be, you should be. Yeah. Well, you know what I am, uh, whole lot of different machinery that we're going to be looking at too so who knows kind of where the pace is going to lie for some of these cars and we'll, we'll kind of find out with the prologue but yeah i mean yeah it's a little interesting not to see uh janetta there yeah. i kind of think figure with the desk they're they're not going to be there just because they're just, they're much smaller outfit than anybody else so they're they're only probably going to have eight or nine ten cars totally, running yeah. per year anyway so that doesn't surprise me. But Janetta, I thought they were going to have a lot more cars for sale or at least being sold or in the 20s, at least. So yeah. to see them not having any there is kind of interesting. So I, I think maybe the trying, especially at this time uh, with, with what's happened this year, I don't think that a lot of teams would be committed to changing uh, suppliers um, and especially considering how competitive the Ligier and the Norma has been, like, why would you risk changing a supplier, even as a, a, a pseudo works outfit, um, when you're not sure about what the pace could be? So I, I can kind of see the logic behind that, but it is a little disheartening to not see any Genetas make it to the grid. Uh, speaking of the grid, though, uh, there are a few usual suspects that we've come to see. Uh, United Autosports again return with two cars. Uh, Wayne Boyd, Tom Gamble, uh, Duncan Tappy uh, amongst their drivers. Um, Graf again with two cars. Uh, one Duquesne and one Ligier, interestingly. So you've got Trelleway, uh Sorry, uh, Tr- Trule, Eric Trulli. I don't know quite know how to pronounce that. Um, uh, San Juan and pa- Page Page in uh, one in the Duquesne, and then in the Ligier you have uh, Capillier, Robin, and, and uh, Arnold Robin and Maxime Robin. So I'm guessing that's uh, brothers or father son or etc. Uh, Nielsen Racing are returning in a uh, with two cars, both Duquesnes. Um, so we'll see Wells and Noble in one car yet again, and then Hodes, Grist, and Cruz in the other car. So continuing on from what they had last year in the ELMS and in the uh, Asian Le Mans series. And then a few more of the big guns into Europol with only one car in LMP3 this season uh, for the pairing of Moore and Hip. So there's two that we've been very familiar with seeing in LMP3 competition. Um, And then I think uh, another interesting one for me is the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup champions uh, stepping up into the ELMS, uh, Lawrence Hoare and Francois Kerman uh, with DKR Engineering. So that'll be uh, interesting to see how they go from the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup competition uh, compared to the ELMS. Yes, I, it's definitely going to be a lot more cars, but I, I, I don't know. I think the Le Mans Cup does a very good job of, of kind of giving everybody a good structure of what to expect. And, you know, it is a step up. Um, and there's going to be a lot more competition just from a competitive standpoint. But, um, you know, I, I think they're gonna, they'll are going they'll manage to do a good job, I think. I think they'll be – it won't be as – I think feel like the transition, especially in the Europe side, is a lot easier for some of these teams. They just yeah. make it easier. There's just more e- – there's more steps, you know, so you're not taking as big ones. Yeah, so. that's that's a, a perfect analogy. And plus the fact that Le Mans Cup races with the European Le Mans Series paddock at every weekend is certainly a, a – a helpful uh like logistical um 
sorry, it gives you uh, certainly the the logistical idea of what what to expect, as well as you know sharing the track and being able to compare times and compare data with your uh, European Le Mans series counterparts as well. So it shouldn't be as much of a step, but it will still be interesting. Uh, looking at that field, that twelve car field, do you want to make any predictions? I I would be surprised if the Inter Europol competition car isn't doesn't take a podium, um, because they are just have been the standout performers in LMP3 for a few seasons, but they're not going to have it easy uh, this year. I don't think there's a lot of competition in that, in that class. Uh, yeah. United all sports looks pretty, pretty decent too. Just in terms of like where the, they've got some different drivers in there, in there too, I think. Yeah. There's a, a few, a few changes. I, I don't recognize the names, James McGuire or Robert Weldon. No. So they're, they're a few and Andrew Bentley, so I think they're a trio of new drivers, but Boyd, Gamble, and Tapia certainly. Uh, yeah, they're, they're known. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just feel like the way that United Auto Sports has been operating, it's I feel like, especially with the LMP2 team switching to Areca's, this with the new Ligier, like, I feel like they might be able to jump on this stuff a little bit quicker than others, but we'll see. Especially for the first round, though, it's got to be a Ligier card that you're going to pick, if anything. Yeah, and we've already mentioned why that is, because of the, the yeah. added weight to the Duquesne's, um, which is a bit of a shame because I would have expected uh, maybe even the Nielsen racing or the graph cars to, to have a, a, a bit more of a, a competition this year. So uh, we'll see how that turns out because um, I do quite like the, the Duquesne and the Norma. I, I prefer that uh, aesthetically. I prefer that over the, the Ligier, but that's just my personal, private, personal opinion. The final class on the entry list is a 10-car GTE competition uh, featuring seven Ferraris, two Porsches, and an Aston Martin returning to the ELMS class for the first time since 2017, I think, um, was the last time we saw Aston Martin racing, I think, in the TF Sport and Beach Dean uh, colors. We have two cars from Kessel Racing, two cars from Iron Lynx, which used to be Kessel Racing. I don't know. All the drivers from Kessel Racing have moved over to Iron Lynx. Um, and then uh, a Dempsey Proton, Proton Car, a JMW Motorsport Return, Spirit of Race, AF Corsa are in there. And the Aston Martin Racing Car is the um, basically the analog of what raced in the WEC. You've got PDL, Matthias Lauder, and Ross Gunn. So that's interesting to see them uh, jump into the European Le Mans series uh, to get a bit more track time. Yeah, and uh, great to see. <laughs> Just, yeah. again, that gives us a little bit more uh, uh, different shapes to see on the GTE side of things. So, um, and they will be one of the, in my, uh, will be one of my favorites to to at least be up front and competing against some of the Ferraris here. Uh, Dempsey Proton will be solid. I mean, Proton Racing has always been solid. So, um, and then obviously, just whether or not JMW, uh, and I, I think you know, there's definitely Spirit of Race is going to be up there and. Castle Racing has shown some some life every now and then, so I, I think it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good class, especially with how many uh, entries there are too mm. this year. Um, uh, the, definitely an uptake of entries for GT, I believe. So yeah, well, in in, in years past, we've seen GTE in European Le Mans series fall to as low low as five entrants. So to see ten is a massive improvement. Mm, pardon me. Um. Important to note that in JMW Motorsport, they've seen a bunch of driver changes thanks to the uh, travel restrictions. So they're fielding an all-British lineup of Jodie Fannin, Finlay Hutchison, and Hunter Abbott, which three drivers I've never heard of in my life before. If you're uh, maybe a British GT fan, you might know who they are. Um, 
Otherwise, a lot of, you know, the usual suspects, you know, Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin, Aaron Scott in the Spirit of Race car. Uh, the Proton cars are interesting. On one hand, you have Christian Reed with Michele Beretta and Alessio Piccarello, which are two drivers I've not ever heard of before. Well, I've heard of Beretta, but not um, Piccarello. And then in the other Proton car, you have uh, Felipe Lazar, which is a driver I've not heard of, paired up with... Uh, FIA WEC GTE Pro winning Ricard Leitz. So that's a bit of a, a power couple. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, oh, I mean, yes. <laughs> power couple indeed. So, yeah, I... that You can make, again, just for most of this field, you can make an argument for uh, them having a strength somewhere kind of in this... Uh, against the rest of the field, or at least whether they can find an advantage in that somehow. Yeah. So, um, and again, just... How evenly spread a lot of this, a lot of these entries are. Yes, they're they're down from ultimately where I think they probably would have been at this had the season started normally. But it's it's really really comforting as a sports car fan to see that it's not, you know, we're not talking about a, a really massive problem here. Whereas mm. you know where you could easily have made that argument a month ago. So yeah, it, it is kind of it's very encouraging to see. You know, we're expecting you know something like less than 30 cars for ELMS at one point, but to see 37 come back to the grid is really, really encouraging. Um, just a quick note before we leave GTE behind, uh, I think the Iron Lynx number 83 team, the all-female lineup, Gosner, Gadding, and Rahel Frey, they really impressed me last year, and I would not be surprised to see them consistently on the podium uh, for this season. So keep an eye out for them, uh, and they are going to be planning to go to Le Mans as well. Um, but honestly... I can't go past the Aston Martin car. I think that's just much stronger than anything else in that field at the moment for GTE. Uh, and yeah, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't find a huge argument for me either. Yeah, and it's a uh, yeah that they they are going to be a very very good team to be going up against. Mm. Uh, all in all, very very exciting though uh, to see ELMS back and to to be back at Le Castellet. It's going to be a, hopefully a beautiful summer's day, and we'll see some great great racing like we've come to expect from the European Le Mans series. And we've also made mention uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup will be supporting them as well, so you'll see the full the full bill basically of a European Le Mans series weekend. Yeah, I mean they've got like thirty four or thirty five somewhere on their entries. I mean it's going to be absolutely full of racing pretty much throughout the entire weekend so I'm, I'm looking forward to it at least a lot oh yeah oh yeah it's gonna be great and on top of that as well not only uh is the elms coming back this weekend gt world challenge europe endurance cup starting up uh the following week we'll briefly touch on that just to bring everyone up to speed unfortunately uh, okay I'm, I'm gonna give you the bad news first and then the good news so unfortunately they've gt world challenge Europe has lost 22 cars across the endurance and sprint cups uh, due to COVID-19 and the logistical issues and pricing, etc., etc. On the plus side, though, there is still a field of 42 full-season GT3 cars. If I said to yeah. you, <laughs> like, that's ridiculous, right? That's r- ridiculous. Yes. Oh, uh, uh, 100%. And it- to boot too. I mean, with everything else going on, a lot of these, yes, they are pro affiliated in terms of what their OEMs, but a lot of these are not the same caliber as some of these like ELMS and IMSA teams where there, there is this, you know, massive structure behind it. And there's just like dedicated hundred percent behind this force. I mean, yeah, there are definitely those, those teams that are in here, but there's a lot of them that I just, 
would not have expected to be able to show up here. And that's just really, really great to see, especially the amount of manufacturers too. Yeah, it's it's a wide variety. Unfortunately, there have been some significant uh, losses. So our motorsport have put a big hole, a full hole on all their racing operations. So that's three Aston Martins that have been pulled from the series. Um, there's been a, a a injury to the Rinaldi racing driver so uh, he's uh, pulled that car the triple eight car um, both McLarens that had been slated for this series have moved back to British GT instead which is unfortunate and then a lot of the bigger teams have downsized so WRT have gone down to three cars Santa Lock down to two AMG uh, has lost a few cars from a few different manufacturers. So, you know, there's been a a few casualties along the way, but to still see 42 cars slated for GT World Challenge Europe is pretty impressive. Um, And I'm quite excited to see GT racing uh, improper um, back on the grid very, very shortly. And I'm sure that there'll be a few of... uh, our subreddit members uh who are gt fans who are going to be very much looking forward to that as well oh absolutely and i mean i'll be tuning in at least to watch uh, quite a bit of that race uh just because hey i'll want something else to watch so um and it will be billed and i will expect it to be just like it would be any other year essentially with just how tight the field is how, how how really talented a lot of the driver lineups are the uh, amount of overthinking engineers behind the pit pit wall. So I, I think it's going to be very, very good in, in terms of just a uh, TV uh, performance mm. that you'll see uh, from a sports car GT uh, race. It'll and, be, I, I think it's going to be great. And not only that, remember as well, the SRO probably has the best balance performance in any racing series around the world. So not only is it going to be uh, incredibly fascinating to watch in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, but the racing action is almost guaranteed to be phenomenal. So that's definitely something to look forward to as we approach the end of July. Exciting times, exciting times in the world of sports cars and not not only in the world of sports cars, but in the world of racing as well, because not only do we have ELMS and IMSA this weekend, but we've also got the return of MotoGP, Super GT starting up again, um, F1 uh, back for round three and V8 supercars as well. So basically anything that tickles your fancy, you're going to have something to watch this weekend. And by God, that makes me so happy. Oh, very happy. So happy. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, <laughs> what, what are you most excited to see this weekend? There's also IndyCar on this weekend as well. So there's plenty going on. What are you most excited to see? Uh, I mean, obviously IMSA because... Uh, oh, yeah, because you're going uh, to IMSA. Um, oh, God damn it. Yeah, yeah, come on here. Uh, I'll be uh, standing with pictures, makes video, all, all, that, all that lovely stuff. But um, uh, Hungarian Grand Prix is going to be a snooze. So no on that one. I'm not going to... I'll be watching it, but uh, I'm not really going to be that invested in it unless something... Unless we have some weather. Uh, Unless the but, Ferraris crash into each other again. What? No. Uh, well, you, know, you know, you could you could say that. But, uh, that Apparently, you know, they don't get cursed. They just get, you know, blessings. Like, you, you say, like, okay, well, they're going to crash. And then they're just like, you, you've actually blessed them. And you've not <laughs> cursed them. You've blessed them. And they will now never crash for the next, like, five races. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, IndyCar as well. I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. As, uh, just kind of looking forward to them kind of going from Road America and that kind of track 
and then kind of like shifting gears to the next kind of round that's coming up. So yeah, that, that'll be like they, they have a they have a jam packed schedule of doing a lot of different kind of racing coming up. Yeah, so. well, I think that's true for for everything. I mean, you look at how much the schedules have been condensed uh, across the board, and it's kind of terrifying. Pardon me, looking at how um how much racing we're going to be having in such a short amount of time. Like uh, looking at it, it's a little daunting to be honest. There's so much racing uh, coming up. And like, as I said, there's five different series that I'm going to be watching just this weekend that I want to watch. So yeah, we're going to be, we're going to become a slave to the motorsport machine in a second. (laughs) Hey, more power to it. Uh, NASCAR too. uh, That's been rolling around as well for a bit, still for a while. Yeah, but. that's that's on this weekend as well. See, there's there's if you, no matter what you're into, there's racing on this weekend. <laughs> you'll have something, or at least like you'll you'll be you'll have something to watch throughout the week next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end. Unless there was anything, any other pressing issues you wanted to talk about? Just waiting a little bit more to see uh, see what happens with the cold COVID stuff, and then obviously with the uh, the the aspect to you know that versus new announcements for cars the dp lmdh versus lmh you know updates from that department um were kind of in the dark and i I kind of expected that considering Mm. the circumstance so um i think hopefully by i think the next time that we kind of will have one of these i feel like we'll have more information from that and i feel like just after sebring because that's kind of for imsa like they they got that these two races out. Then they're going to wait a little bit. Like there might be some news, or at least there'll be some announcement that kind of keep everybody talking about IMSA a little bit more or something like that. I feel like you're going to at least get something coming up here where there's going to be something else to talk about. But yeah, I think right now it's just kind of making sure everything goes off without a hitch, and we don't have any more. You know, do these drivers that get uh, that get di- you know they get yeah. diagnosed with having COVID before they get in the car felipe nazar so uh but yeah no i i it's it was a solid uh weekend of racing when i went and uh, it's been really really nice to be able to wake up on sundays and saturdays and watch race oh my god it's uh, very nice so nice unbelievably nice yeah i'll echo the same sentiment i i hope that as we start to see things opening up again that we get we experience these in the right way and that there's no more uh significant issues that prevent uh people going racing and enjoying racing because at the end of the day that's that's what this is all about is is going out and enjoying racing and just before we finish off i do want to make a little bit of a shout out um of course this podcast has been run through the wec subreddit for the last i think it's five years that we've been doing that now which is a little scary to think about um but our good friends over on the formula one subreddit just hit one million members which is a very exciting time so um to all our friends over in the formula one subreddit the organizers there the moderators there um and I, I know that some of you are listening. Uh, yeah, congratulations on building something that have, has pulled in a million people. Like, holy crap! Yeah. Now we just need our now. Now we just need our own like Netflix series. And yeah. You know. Well, you know, you know what the funny thing is, I remember joining Formula the Formula One subreddit when it had about the same number of members as WEC currently has. So you know, maybe in five years' time, we'll have a million members around the world. Hi. Eric, yeah, man. <laughs> no, I don't well, want to do that. Get it. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, man, yeah, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a lot of human beings. Yeah, to, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to all be in one spot, so I, I don't know how to do it. No, neither do I. Uh, good luck to them. 
Uh, on yep. that note, uh, thank you very much, Cookie, for joining me today. Best of luck over the weekend. Hope you have a nice, super happy, fun time. Uh, yeah, thank you. I will now indeed try to have a super happy, fun time. I was trying to have a super happy time, but I will definitely now add the fun part in it too. Thank I'm, you. I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to remind you to do uh, to add the fun. Sometimes I forget that, and yeah. that's why you're here. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, and thank you uh, very much for listening. Uh, yet uh, once again, I'll plug all the bits. Follow us on Twitter. Open us up on YouTube now. We have a YouTube. You can listen to me and Kiwi commentate some sim racing series over there as well. Uh, and hit it, listen to us on Spotify or wherever you, you get. You know the business by now. Anyway, that's it. I'm I'm going back to bed. I'm Michael Zalavari. Peace out. Gazoo. <laughs> That was a hot mess. But it was our hot mess. It was our hot mess, and for that I am thankful. Because I love getting into a hot mess with you. It's like the best. It is the best mess.